Three young boys were murdered in 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas. They were Chris Byers, Michael Moore, and Steve Branch. Three teenagers, Damian Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., and Jason Baldwin, known as the West Memphis Three, were convicted of these murders. During the trial, the prosecution asserted that the juveniles killed the children as part of a satanic ritual. Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey Katie. Hello. Welcome to season three. That's right. Holy crap, you guys. This is here season we three, our very first episode. Yes. We hope you like our new intro or music if you're listening. Mm-hmm. Switch things up a bit. We're going to switch them up even more. You're going to see we have kind of some new ways to send you a lot more um, true crime every day, which yeah. I think is pretty awesome. We're considering it a true crime variety show of sorts. Wow. Are you going to dance or sing? Maybe someday. Not this day. No. <laughs> Today, no. Gotcha. No. I wasn't planning <laughs> on it either, but... You know, variety show. I mean, we might need to throw some talents in there here and there. Right. This is it. This is the talent. (laughs) This is what we got. Yeah. So the way this is going to work, we'll have a short segment. Then we'll go to our main case. Then we'll have another short segment. Then we'll wrap it up. So you're really getting three cases in one show, which Mm -hmm. we think is pretty darn cool. Yes. And our new segments will be DNA for the win. Oh, Idaho. Spotlight on missing persons. Mm-hmm. What else we got? Uh, it's weird crime time. Mm-hmm. Oh, MMIW. MMIW. And uh, racial injustice. Yep. So we yep. will always have two short segments along with one longer segment that is our main case. Mm-hmm. So... There's a lot to cover, and some of it doesn't take very long, and some of it takes a lot longer. Mm-hmm. So we've found ways to kind of fit all of those things into every episode now. Yeah. We're very excited. We feel like this will be a really good way to cover more ground, be able to get to a few more of the things that you guys are asking us for, help spotlight missing persons cases. That's a big one, because a it lot is. of times the missing persons cases just don't have enough information to be a whole episode, but they really deserve to be seen and a lot of them in a timely manner. And this helps us to do that too. It certainly does. Yeah. So this way we can just get a lot more done in a single episode. And we think it's going to be really fun. So we hope you guys enjoy it. We're loving it. Yeah. So without further ado, Katie, I'm going to kick you over to DNA for the win. All righty. Well, DNA for the win this week. We're talking about a young lady named Fawn Cox. Fawn was murdered in her bed when she was 16 years old. Someone came in through her bedroom window and sexually assaulted her brutally and killed her in her bed. 
This happened in Kansas City. And initially, two teenagers were arrested for the crime and weren't held for very long and were exonerated because they didn't have any proof it was them. And over the years, the police have tried and tried and tried to solve this case. Uh, it was 32 years ago that this happened in 1989. Whoa. And there have been a lot of attempts to solve this case. Uh, but again, some of the uh, people that worked on the case and worked on Flan's body were visionaries. And they took the right kind of evidence, the right kind of DNA evidence, and preserved it. Wow. Because there was plenty of DNA evidence of the assailant and held on to it. And in around 2010, they managed to get her case on the table with an organization called Legends. And I've never heard of Legends before, but Legends, it's L-E capital G-E-N-D, Legend. And legend is doing the DNA. They're a lot like the uh, some of the other uh, like nanolabs that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And they managed to put together, build a, a, like a reverse family tree, like we've heard before, right. and start narrowing down the suspects. Now, at first, they had, had taken the DNA footprint and put it in CODIS, and it drew nothing. And they waited every couple of years, ran it through CODIS again nothing. That's when they started doing the reverse uh, family tree to try and uh, nail it down. The thing is, uh, the reverse family tree traced back to one family, her family. Oh. And at the end of the day, they finally did solve the case. The murderer was her cousin that was five years older than her. Oh, boy. Uh, he died about 10 years ago, 15 years ago now. Uh, so there's no coming to Jesus for him with the courts. Right. But her family at least do know. Uh, her parents said that there he was very weird and a really troubled guy. And they had wondered at times if there was any chance it could have been him because of his behavior. Oh, boy. But there was never any proof that it was him. But, yeah, it was actually a family member. But her parents are both still living, and they have managed to at least see their daughter's case closed and solved which is something you know yeah yep at least they know now which mm -hmm. i you know i think is 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 some some peace for some a lot of people for sure but then again can you imagine the uh the family chaos it causes you know now to discover and that it was a family member like how does this kid's mother feel and his, you know i mean there's just there's so many complicated layers to this case. It's just, it's very sad, but yeah. the case is solved. Wow. Yep. So that is Fawn Cox and Christy, I'm going to turn the mic back over to you to tell us all about what's going on with the West Memphis three. Okay. So we've, we've had requests to cover the West Memphis three several yeah. times and we never have. And now there's actually something new happening in this case. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just give you a quick background of what this case is because it's it's very complicated and so i'm going to give you the short version mm -hmm. this actually started with the um disappearance and eventually um 
bodies found of three eight-year-old boys, and their names were Steve Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers. This was on May 5th of 1993, and this was in West Memphis, Arkansas. So these little boys had been playing with each other in the evening, and by about 7 p.m., um, parents couldn't find them. So they reported them missing. They did some looking the night that they went missing, but they didn't really start like a big search until the next morning. The police started at 8 a.m. on May 6th looking for them. They were looking in an area called Robin Hood Hills. That's where they were last seen, and so that's where the big searches went for them. About uh, 1.45 in the afternoon on that day, May 6th, the day after they went missing, a juvenile parole officer uh, found a black tennis shoe of a boy, a boy's black tennis shoe floating Mm. in a creek that uh, was near a drainage canal in Robin Hood Hills. And that's, that is where they found the bodies of all three boys. Uh, They had been stripped naked and they were hogtied with their shoelaces. Oh, Uh, and there, a weird thing was that some of their clothes were found in the creek and that they had been, the clothes had been twisted around a stick and then shoved into the dirt, into the ditch. Nobody ever really understood why that is. Um, so the autopsies of the boys indicated that, um, Steve Byers Sorry, Christopher Byers mm-hmm. um, died of multiple injuries. He had some pretty severe injuries to his scrotum and penis, actually. Um, and then the other two boys, Moore and Branch, died of multiple injuries in, uh, on top of drowning. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the neighborhood, the community just freaked out. Sure. Um, as any community would. Well, sure. And, I'm assuming that that was a place where they thought their kids were pretty safe to be out right. playing. And yeah. Well, and of course this is in 1993 and we were talking about the satanic panic recently in a different yes. place. Um, but this is during the time of the satanic panic. Yes. So the suspects in this case were Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles and Jesse Miss Kelly. They were 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, some of, let's see, Baldwin and Eccles had been arrested for vandalism and shoplifting. Um, Miss Kelly had been in some fights. Miss Kelly also had a pretty significant developmental disability. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these kids were poor. They had history with the police. And so they were just sort of turned on i think by the community Mm -hmm. and this is easy targets yeah yeah easy targets um eccles you know eccles kind of had a history of being kind of a goth kid Mm -hmm. and kind of dark and into dark things and um at one point he said he had superpowers by drinking human blood and you know stuff (laughs) some stuff the teenagers say okay Mm -hmm. As you yeah. and I both know, we've raised boys. Yeah. They say some dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not, not that any of it yes, was do. even true, necessarily. Yeah. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, oh, yeah. boys will claim things sometimes that are... Mm-hmm. But these kids were easy targets. They'd been in trouble before. Um, and, you know, 
I don't know. Obviously, you're going to hear my bias come out. But Jesse Miss Kelly is who implicated himself in the other two in these murders. And Jesse Miss Kelly has um, a pretty significant developmental disability. Sure. He was um, interrogated for a long period of time. He was scared by the police. Mm -hmm. He was alone and probably should not have been alone during these interrogations. Not legally should not have been alone. Right. Legally, there were a lot of things going on here that were not okay. But they get convicted, right? Mm -hmm. So they're convicted... Uh, Jesse Miss Kelly gets life imprisonment plus two, two 20-year sentences. Jason Baldwin uh, gets life imprisonment. And Damien Eccles is sentenced to death. Oh, my God. But they really don't have any evidence against them. There's no forensic evidence against them at all. So there's all this, over a period of time, they serve 18 years in prison. And over that time, there's a lot of, there's a group of activists and celebrities that get together to try to get them out and to try to get them a new trial. And this goes before the Supreme Court a few times. And it goes before courts in Arkansas a bunch of times, like over and over again, people are like, these kids didn't do this. They should not be in prison. Yeah. So then. And also, if these kids didn't do this, you fools have a killer out on the street who did this to these three little boys. Right. And, you know, and and I, on the day that it happened, a man walked into a restaurant called Mr. Bojangles. He was a tall, thin black man. He was covered in mud and he was covered in blood. My he God. went into their bathroom and washed up. People in, so the restaurant people were like, what the hell? So they called the police. Mm-hmm. This is before the kids had been found. I think maybe even before they were reported missing or about that time. Mm-hmm. And the police did come and they took some, they took a sample of the blood. And somehow this just didn't really get connected up to wow. this case. But when you look back on it, you're like, why the hell not? You know, who was right. this guy? So, In 2007, there was some new forensic evidence presented in this case. And so they had some genetic material that had been not been able to be tested before, was finally tested. None of it came back as the defendants. Yeah. And some of it did come back as not not being DNA evidence of the victims. Right. So, in 2010, uh, the Arkansas Supreme Court uh, saw this case yet again. Mm-hmm. They were given the opportunity for new trials. Mm-hmm. But what they did, this is a very unusual thing, but what they did is they took Alfred, please. So, instead of having a new trial... They pled out. They basically, they were given this this deal. If you will plead, if you'll take an Alfred plea, and an Alfred plea is basically pleading guilty without pleading guilty. Right. You're basically saying, you have enough evidence to convict me. I'm not saying I did it. However, I'm going to plead guilty so that, because basically what happened is their attorneys went to them and said, look, if you'll take these Alfred pleas, you'll get out of jail tomorrow. Right. It's over. So they took them. 
They'd only served eight. Right. They had served 18 years of their sentences. Right. Well, I mean, is, on their part, really wanting to get out, but it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but were they given the Alfred plea option so that the state didn't come out of it with mud on their face? And so right. that they couldn't come back and sue the shit out of them for wrongful imprisonment? And because they really didn't have enough. As the DNA evidence was coming out, it was clear that they didn't really have enough to convict them again. Exactly. And that is that is the fairly commonly held belief in the public and in the attorneys for the defendants is that, mm -hmm. yeah, they didn't really want a new trial because they no. knew that this new trial, they were going to lose it. Yeah. The problem, though, is that these men have come out of prison with Alfred pleas, which they're not exonerated. No. They just basically yeah, serve their time. Killers. They're still yeah. considered to be convicted. But there are plenty of people, you know, in the legal world that are very concerned about this because yeah. there's still someone out there who actually did this, did right. these murders. So here's where, so there's some real sketchy crap that goes on with the police in this case. Mm -hmm. And one of the things is that they supposedly lost the blood that was taken from Bojangles mm -hmm. and that there was some, some uh, forensic evidence that was just gone. It was just lost. They didn't know mm -hmm. where it was in yes. this case. It really stuff that could exonerate these men. Yeah. So just, just barely just in the last week or so, yeah, this came out on 1223. So just, just barely. Mm -hmm. um, an attorney, his name is Patrick Banka, and he represents Damien Eccles. Mm -hmm. He personally was granted access to evidence in the uh, West Memphis Police Department, and he personally located the evidence that yeah. they said have been saying all along was missing. It was right there in the freaking police department the whole time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is big news because this is another yeah. opportunity for them to, this is more, you know, what if this blood belongs to the victims? This is the blood from Bojangles. It belongs to the perp. Or it belongs yeah. to the perp, yeah. Or, or even if it belongs to the victims, because why would the victim's blood be on that guy Yeah. if the U.S. Memphis Three killed those kids? Right. Yeah. It's it's a big deal. It is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, Didn't they say it was lost in a fire? Oh, they've said all kinds of crap. There was a flood. Mm -hmm. There was a fire. Uh, the chief of police has now resigned over it. Seems fitting. Uh, yeah. So it says the 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 police department in West Memphis is saying Chief Pope's resignation is completely unrelated to the West Memphis Three rumors being sent out on social media. However, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, another opportunity has come forward. You know, it's this, all of this has been such crap for these poor yeah. kids. But now what we're seeing is another opportunity to exonerate them. Like, I don't know why the DNA from 2007 didn't exonerate them. I, I mm -hmm. guess because they took the Alfred pleas. If they had gone to trial with that. But they were all pretty afraid. Yeah. That they, um, what if they were convicted again? Yeah. 
So they were given the opportunity to get out. They were not necessarily happy about taking those Alfred pleas, but at this right. time, at the moment, it was certainly better than staying in prison and, and going through a new, new trial. But it's so disgusting that our justice system in the first place mm. scared the shit out of these kids to the point that they actually implicated themselves in something they didn't do. Right. And then at the end of the day, their final FU out the door is to scare them into signing Alfred pleas so that they don't have to go back to court and can finally just get out of prison for right. a crime they've never committed in the first place. Right. So horribly handled. Very horribly handled. So we're going to see what this evidence shows. We'll see where these attorneys are going. It appears that the um, defense for the West Memphis Three is strong. Like they mm -hmm. are not done yeah. until these men have been exonerated. Mm -hmm. Because until they've been exonerated, they cannot seek um, any kind of restitution or anything from the, right. the, the police department, from the county, the state, yeah. whoever. There's they no need to be exonerated first. Yeah. And also, there needs to be true justice for the families. Right? Where's the real killer? They wasted all of these years. They did. All of these years. And a lot of the families now believe that these boys did not kill their sons. Um, the stepfather of one of the kids has been looked at pretty heavily. Um, he's been exonerated. The, the um, DNA didn't match him either. Mm -hmm. And so now we know that, you know, this, this blood evidence can have the answer to everything. Yeah. So hopefully it's testable. Hopefully it's usable, you know, all those things yeah. now, but we, we could maybe see full exoneration of the West Memphis three coming. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people in the true crime world want to see because we yeah. know that this these trials were not handled correctly, that these kids were railroaded into what mm -hmm. happened here. And yeah, exactly. They're still being used. Yeah. When they're given, you know, Alfred pleas that basically mm -hmm. still, yeah, you're right. Protect the state, protect the, yeah. the police. Wow. It's just an ugly, sad situation. But you think about no whoever killed what, those their children, lives are... have they killed other children since? Because right. they were not... Held accountable you know? for this? Yeah. Yeah. So we will keep you up on it. Um, I know that was not an exhaustive presentation of the West, West Memphis Three, so don't at no, me. The whole point But I think was, most of you already know this case. Right. This is the new stuff. It yeah. is. And that's what we wanted to get at, was the new stuff, kind of just a little bit of the history and then the new stuff, so that, um, you know, we can watch what's, what's happening going forward, because we think it's going to be some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we have another segment coming up. We do. Let's see what Katie has to tell us about O Idaho. Oh, Idaho, you've done it again. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this floppy lump of whitefish <laughs> named Craig Rowland. floppy lump of white. I don't know. I liked it. I, I think it's good. He deserves it. Oh, so he does. The Craig Rowland is the sheriff uh, of Bingham County, and that's Blackfoot, Idaho. And Blackfoot just is one county over from me. Yeah, not far from us. And Blackfoot butts right up to 
the Shoshone-Bannock Indian Reservation. And he, back in November, back in November, an LDS church group, it was a leader and several young girls, teenage girls, were taking notes around and sticking them on the doors of various ladies in their church, uh, thanking them for things they do for them and who they are and things. And they were knocking and running. So apparently they do this every year at Thanksgiving. It's kind of a little gratitude thing they do. So they put a note on the Rollins door for Craig's wife, not for Craig at all. Like this had nothing to do with Craig until he made it about him. I'm guessing he does that a lot. He, so they put this note on the door and then headed back for their car. Well, he didn't like that. And he opened the door in his boots and long underwear. If you can even imagine this scene. Sadly, I can because I live here. (laughs) And hollered at his wife to grab his gun. Being the dutiful wife she obviously is, she grabbed his gun and ran it to him. He ran out to the car that had one fairly young lady in it as the leader and all of these girls in the car. He starts screaming at her, who the F are you? What the F do you think you're doing? Get out of this car. He is pointing a gun in her face. He jerks her out of her car by her hair and throws her on the hood of the car and is screaming at her about what does she think she's doing here and I could shoot you right now. She is trying to explain to him that she's his next door neighbor and has been for 30 years. She grew up right next door to this fool. Uh. And that they're just from the church. They were just bringing a note to his wife. He doesn't want to hear it. He dresses her down, screams her face off, points the gun in the car at the teenage girls. And eventually goes back in the house and lets them go. And that doesn't even hit the news for a minute. When it finally does, he says to the news, well, I have drunk Indians on this street all the time. I have to do something to keep myself safe. Really? Jackass. Nice. So at this point, finally, in December, there was an investigation opened by the Attorney General's office because nobody was investigating this. Uh, As far as uh, Bingham County was concerned, this was just going to get swept right on under the rug as well as the Blackfoot uh, City Police, because it happened in city limits. And so they were just going to let it go quietly and just be filed in the annals of the uh, good old boys club. Mm -hmm. But it hit the news and it hit the uh, state attorney general's office. And so that didn't happen. Well, there's been a big call for Craig Rowland to step down as well. He should after Mm -hmm. doing something like that and being that scary irresponsible with a gun and frankly out of his mind particularly knowing that he knew them he knew them yeah was he thinking well and the tribal elders have said uh yeah we don't think you should be a, a police officer in our community yeah yeah most definitely and as well he shouldn't yeah you know so he has finally been charged And with uh, two felonies, aggravated battery and aggravated assault and a misdemeanor of use or exhibition of a deadly weapon. And he is being required to take a leave of absence during the court proceedings. He has been asked to step down over and over again. Mm 
but he won't do it. Including by the mayor and city council. Uh Uh-huh. Mayor, city council, the tribe, everybody is saying, you got to go. His answer, I'm an elected official, and if the citizens want me gone, they can vote me out. He says he's not going anywhere. Mm. So what Judge Eddins has done, now remember Judge Eddins, this was the first uh, judge in the De Belvalo matter. What Judge Eddins has done has said, all right, well, you, you, we can't make you step down. Yes, you can. But he didn't do that. What he did do is say you cannot have access to firearms. So now the sheriff of the county cannot have access to firearms because he can't be trusted with them because he did something really scary. But he can stay the sheriff. Mm. Yeah. Yikes. They're also claiming that... Uh, They strongly disagree with the state's versions of the facts. You know, the lady he did this to and the five teenage witnesses are all big liars. This is not an investigation. This is political. They said the attorney general doesn't like Mr. Rowland and he's just trying to remove him from his position. I wonder why he doesn't like him. Gee, he seems like such a likable guy. Gosh, you know? Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on this one and let you know where it goes. But there you have it. Oh, Idaho. (laughs) Well, this is our very first episode of season three. And you have heard DNA for the win, an update on the West Memphis three and a segment called Oh, Idaho. We will be back with two more episodes like this this week. Same kind of format, but, you know, different different segments depending on what we have going on. We will also be back on Wednesday night with our usual Wednesday night case updates at 7 p.m. And that is a live stream. And we will be back at 7 p.m. Mountain on Thursday night in the live stream for the psychic hour. So the big yeah. changes really are just in our recorded cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are making... Um, you know, available instead of three cases a week, nine cases a week, because Mm -hmm. we like to work hard and we love true crime. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to all of that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So you know it. This has been True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Thanks for being here. Take care. (laughs) 